0: Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. I'm excited to introduce our co-host today. Joining me today uh, is Dr. Kenneth Stevens and Dr. Richard Harris. Both uh, Dr. Stevens and Dr. Harris uh, have served as part of our SU community, and they both pastor together at... Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. It's an honor to have you both on the show today. Welcome. Oh, uh, well, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. How's uh how's COVID living these days for the both of you? Uh,
1: oh my goodness. I was just telling Dr. Harris, we just found out yesterday that my mother-in-law and we know our father-in-law both tested positive. They're from uh, they're from Connecticut. And um, they've been my father-in-law's church has been meeting, and I found out that the pastor and a whole Large part of the congregation is is COVID positive, so we're just keeping them lifted in prayer yeah. right now. I yeah. would have
2: thought it would be over by now.
0: I know, sure. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, it looks like we're going to get close to this vaccination yes. coming out soon, so maybe we are starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, we still navigate it and have to yes, sir. to move forward, and we have to follow the big three. Uh, that's for sure. You know, constantly. Uh, Washing the hands, wearing the mask, and social distancing. That's it. And that's, yes. that's what we do. So, But grateful for you both joining us on the podcast today. You know, over the, the, the past several months, you know, we've been engaging in a lot of conversations with leaders and members of our community about uh, all the issues of racism and inequality in our nation. And and I know I, sh- I share this a lot, but I, I can tell you on a personal level, you know, my eyes have, have been open to quite a bit uh, to the culture of, of racial injustice that really does still exist in 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 our world and we're making it a priority for uh, I know our community here uh, at southeastern to begin to acknowledge the changes necessary that need to take place among us and seek to make those changes a true reality that we will see real real change I want to ask you both what have you um, have you learned discovered uh, this year specifically about the state of racism and inequality in our in our country and in our communities.
2: Well, one thing that I'm encouraged by is that this seems to be different. Everyone is saying this seems to be different this year. Uh, and I think part of it is because we, we've got the COVID going on at the same time. But it seems as if more people are taking it seriously because I've watched over the last, I've been involved with uh, racial justice work now for uh, 40 years and I've watched it, uh, you know, something will happen and people will get all excited about it and get on the bandwagon, but they've pretty much fallen off the bandwagon two weeks later. And this this summer uh, it's been very, very different and it it seems to keep on. So I think that maybe we are on the uh, on the brink of something actually happening and, and taking place and more people becoming interested in solving the problem.
1: yeah, yeah and, I, and I see that also as someone who who, who literally lives that I this this, this year's been different. I, I see more of a um, an effort to to really It's it's risen to the level of visibility that people are are really beginning to take action. People whom you um, who would have just probably just bypassed it or it would have died now, as Dr. Harris said, in a couple of weeks or months. But now I I see it at the level of visibility where people are are truly taking action. So it gives me, you know, as an African-American, it gives me gives me hope. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm going to tell you, I've been looking forward to this podcast when we can truly sit down and, and uh, hear your stories and hear about your friendship and and your work together. If there's one thing I know about both of you is that forgiveness and uh, reconciliation are themes that flow throughout uh, your lives. And uh, But it didn't start there. I want to begin with your story, Dr. Stevens. In, in 1984, your family walked through a significant tragedy in your life. Your brother was murdered in, in a murder-for-hire case. Can you walk us through the story of what happened uh, to, your, to your brother? Yes, sir. Uh, like you
1: said, in 1984, my, my oldest brother, Jonathan Lee Early, I was on active duty um, at... Um, Fort Riley in, in Kansas, and uh, I was stationed, I was 20, 20 years old. I was stationed at Fort Eustis, I'm sorry, at Fort uh, Wainwright in Alaska, got a call uh, that my brother had been killed, um, flew back home for the funeral, and then we found out that um, the very people whom, his brothers in arms whom he, you know, entrusted his life with, which were two white white males, uh, killed him uh, at the at the discretion of his of his wife, who paid we're gonna pay them, I, and I think it was like two thousand or four thousand dollars a piece mm-hmm. uh, for the insurance money, and uh, so she set that up, and they uh, they killed him, killed him. Uh, from what um, I I never saw the transcripts, my sister and I didn't want to see him but my sister sort of filled me in on and on, they killed him, lured him back to to his place and killed him, and he died. He he literally laid there and just bled out. That, wow. that 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 uh, that night and um it put it, it put a hate hate in me dr Engel uh, and and i have to be honest for for all white people i had this i'm 20 years old my brother whom i'm on active duty to, and and for someone to do that um that 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 really really not only hate but anger uh, wow. and and mistrust um so I, I lived with that for for a long time till i was able to uh, you know, walk my way through it by uh, it, my, my faith. Um, and that's that's but,
0: but that that part of my life was was devastating. Yeah. And what what was the process of, of walking through to get to the point of forgiveness? What was that process like for you and, and how long did it actually take? It, it it took a it took a while. I was, like I said, 20 something years old, um,
1: always a Christian, grew up in the church that I must call. Uh, associate pastor. And so I always knew Christ and I knew uh, about God. Uh, it wasn't until uh, I got to say probably about 2000, 2001, when my faith re- really, really began to to develop deep enough. And I began to walk through the Bible and, and, and look at um, God's word on, on on just forgiveness. And and so it, it, it began to unfold with when I began to spend more and more time. I had a period in my life where where well, I had some struggles and, and I had to spend a lot of time, silence and solitude with God. And I began to walk through that, um, that process of, of, you know, you, as you read the Bible, you see in there constantly where, where Christ is talking about forgiveness, where it, it throughout, all throughout the word, it's about forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And so I, I began to see that. And, uh, over that, over time, um, I came to, you know, I came to grips with um, it, it is it is the Christian thing to do. If I'm going to move past this, if I'm going to walk walk it like I talk it and like I've read it, i and read it, I I have to begin to let go of that. So I, you know, made it up in my mind that it was time um, time to forgive, and I and I have I I forgiven them. I don't know whether they're still incarcerated or not. I have no idea where she is. But um, in order for me to move forward, in order for me even to be you know an associate pastor who gets in and and preaches you know love and forgiveness in the pulpit, it, it had to start with me so it, that's that was my process of walking walking through that and building trust um you know back in the like I said into um you in, know into my um fellow uh brothers and sisters white fellow brothers and sisters so it, it it did it so and now i built relationships and they are i mean i trust them with my life even especially here at members here at southeast and i tell them that all the time so yeah, yes, sir,
0: that's great and and as a part of what you had to experience and you went through and you're it's enabled you now to be a profound mentor in so many lives and and how what kind of journey has that looked like when you have the opportunity to influence now and mentor and come alongside others who who have some of these same issues that that maybe you battled and were tough for you to to work through?
1: yes, sir, it it, it is. it It allowed me, you know, um it's say experience is the best teacher. and And so going through that, when when I can bring uh, that will world, experience to the to the platform, to the table, and I'm talking to groups of, of it, it doesn't matter if it's African-American, Hispanic, Caucasian, and I tell them about the journey of forgiveness, um, they, they are at all. when I tell them the story of how my brother was murdered and then how I worked my way through forgiveness. So it, it gives me that opportunity to talk to them about Forgiveness and how Christ teaches and preach, uh, you know, preach forgiveness and reconciliation and reconciling our differences. Um, there's a, you know, we a large population of 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 African American young men that. That are still hurting and battling right. and trying to figure this thing out. So I, I get to come alongside of them, uh, and and I love the fact that I'm not telling them something I read in a book or something right. somebody else has told me. I'm telling them something I literally I I walk through this thing and I live this and and I'm telling you in order to get through it, this is what this is how and and I don't I don't give them false hope. It it took me a process. It's going to take time, just like th- this country is. It's, it's going to take some time, but we have to begin somewhere. And Dr. Ng, I will tell you, as I tell them, it will not be accomplished if we do not ingrain the word of God in mm-hmm. in the. It, I say in it, around it, and all over. It takes it takes that. So
0: yeah, so good. Now, I want to talk uh, about your story, uh, doctor Harris. As sure. a young man, you were a member of the Ku Klux Klan. You were actually the Grand Dragon, and uh, uh, in Indiana, in charge uh, for what a couple of years. Uh, talk to us about what led you to the KKK, and how did you rise up, you know, in the ranks, and um, and, and just tell us that story.
2: Yeah, well, as a as a child, like going back to elementary school, I was uh, I was the one the bullies always picked on. I was the one that they always beat up on the playground and and took the lunch money away from. That was me. So I grew up very angry. I was I was angry. Uh, and I, I was just a, a, a runt. You know, I was just skinny and scrawny. And uh, I, I didn't know how I would ever do anything, but I vowed that someday I was going to get power one way or the other. And eventually, when I got a little bit older, when I turned 16 the Ku Klux Klan who was very that was very active people don't think of Indiana being an active Klan state because it's right, not right. in the deep south but Indiana is the second largest Klan state north of the or the, the largest north of the Mason Dixon line and, mm-hmm. and it it rivals some of the the major southern states well, the Klan headquarters for the state happened to be in my town, Kokomo, Indiana. So, a lot of, lot of Klansmen. And they they basically heard, you know, they had heard about me. They'd been watching me and they sought me out. And basically, they came along and said, hey... If you joined us and you think like we do, we we like you, we'll take care of you, we'll protect you, no one will ever beat up on you or call you names or anything. You could be, we'll be your family. Mm. And, you know, that sounded pretty good to this 16-year-old. And, you know, and joining a a club like a club, wow, a grown-up club that was famous, Mm. uh, infamous we should say. So I joined at age 16, and they immediately, because I could I was a good public speaker, and they could see that, and that's what you needed to be, to be a clan leader. And so they started grooming me to actually become the Grand Dragon of Indiana, and by age 18, I was the second youngest Grand Dragon in the United wow. States. Uh, the only other younger one was David Duke, uh, and Duke was uh, older than me, but he became Dragon at age 17. So I, w- I was Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. That's what got me in was just this this frustration of, of wanting, wanting power and
0: all. What Now, what initiated – how long were you in the and, – and what initiated your departure? And how do you get out of something like that?
2: Exactly. So uh, I was a – they groomed me to become a member for about a year or so. Uh, and then I joined at age 16. Uh, I was dragon at age 18, and I stayed dragon for about two years, and that's when, well, frankly, that's when I met Jesus, mm. and uh, I wanted out. But when you're the grand dragon, you don't just don't walk away from something like that. And so what happened was, uh, I, you know, I had four armed bodyguards that was my security patrol that that stayed with me. Well. I met Jesus uh, one night just by reading the Gospel of John. I'd mm. never read the Bible before. I always thought I was a Christian, but I started reading the Gospel of John. And I saw that there were so many places where the Klan had just twisted the scriptures and lied because most people don't understand this, but the clan believes they're the true Christians. Mm. And every clan meeting is started with a clan chaplain. Reading the Bible, uh, doing some preaching, yeah, and so I so I knew some of the Bible because I'd listened for four years to the Klan chaplains, but I saw so many places where they were twisting the scriptures and leaving things out and just lying about them, and that's when the light bulb came on. So I I told I just told them I'm quitting. I'm quitting. I want out, and of course they said, well, you can't get out. Well that Sunday, I wanted to find out what a real Christian was because I knew that I wasn't one, and I wanted to find out. And so I took two of my armed bodyguards with me uh, to church and heard the gospel preached for the first time. Mm. And it's like, I think I've done that. I think I've accepted Jesus because I prayed after reading the Bible, God, if there's any way you can get me out, I want to find out what a real Christian is, and I want to be one. Well, they let me out because those two bodyguards quit the Klan that day also. And now they've lost two security guards. They've got a Grand Dragon quitting. They didn't want anyone to have anything to do with me because they were afraid, how many more am I going to take with me? And so they put the word out, if you keep your mouth shut, we'll let you live, but we expect you to stay away from all of the Klansmen. No contact. Well, I'd already seen that they were lying to me, anyways. I, I just let me out, let me out and let me live. And I kept my mouth shut for about 13 years yeah. until I realized that God really wanted me to speak out. And that's when I started speaking yeah. out.
0: Wow. Now, the two of you are, are, are pastoring together. What uh, what a crazy story of God's redemption! There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yes. right. Only God could bring uh, the two of you t- together. Yes. How did you both end up in ministry together? And and talk to me about the dynamic of your leadership together. Wow, um,
1: I was I retired uh, in 2003 in El Paso, Texas. God called me back home in 2005. Had no no um, real. Drive to come back to Polk County, honestly, but God called me back, made it back here, didn't have a job, stepped out on faith, didn't have a job. I, I applied to Southeastern to teach as an as an adjunct and uh, was, was hired to teach as an adjunct. And then Dr. Harris and and Tom Malcolm at the time, we had what we called the, the what is it, DCAE, DCAE. Um, yeah. needed a coordinator, distributed learning. So I was hired in 2006 or 2007. That's when I first met. Uh, Dr. Harris and um, kind of told me about his 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 background, mm. uh, and then from there, uh, you know, I started um, attending my my church I grew up in. I, I I grew up in that church. I was in that church in 1974. The church is 132 34 years old now, and so I'm mm. I'm there, and then uh, became ordained and associate pastor. And and Dr. Harris will tell you the rest after he retired from. Uh, his his church. I left his church.
2: Right. Yeah, I had been a senior pastor for 31 years and uh, also a pastor, you know, uh, working here at Southeastern full-time as a professor. Well, it, it finally was just getting too much. So I decided my ministry was going to be Southeastern. I stepped down from the pulpit and uh, then uh, the senior pastor uh you know, well, you got to go to church somewhere, right? And so, it's like, where do we go? And I, I knew uh, Dr. Stevens' church, and, and Dr. Stevens had worked uh, with me uh, for several years here at Southeastern. And so, I said, let's go to Dr. Stevens' church. And uh, next thing you know, the senior pastor said, you know what, we really want you to be on our platform and we want you preaching to us also." And so uh, he invited me to be a an associate uh, pastor, think about it, an associate pastor who is a former grand dragon of the KKK, now pastoring in a historic African-American church that was started by freed slaves. That's mm-hmm. God.
1: And if That's I, and if I could add to that, um, before Dr. Harris came to the church, Dr. Engle, um, I'm over at our men's ministry at our church, and we were out at Lake Yale, and um, I asked Dr. Harris to come out and speak. They, they've never met Dr. Harris, but I asked him to bring all of his, all of his regalia, all of his clan, his clan. You know, you have to understand, we had um, one of our oldest members was in his 90s, and we had some 80s and 70s. So you know that era what they sure. lived in, and I didn't, I didn't forewarn them what Dr. Harris was going to. The same thing we were talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. Dr. Engle, when Dr. Harris came in, and when he unzipped that Ku Klux Klan regale, it, it if you could have saw that room, it was the most moving. Um, our senior deacon, Deacon Larry Granger, told the story about how the Klan used to come in, come in t- uh and and they used to ha- they had a um, a coat where they would run out as children out of the back door and hide under tobacco leaves, and so to see that and I, and. It was a lot more than I was prepared for. And, wow. and Dr. Harris can tell you what, what went on from there. I mean.
2: Yes. And, and for one thing, Dr. Stevens didn't tell me he didn't warn the people ahead of time. Oh. So I just assumed that they knew, they knew. who I was. Sure. And so I just went on with my story and I had my clan robes there and everything. Well, you know, and so they were very respectful. But then at the end, I was packing things up. I was done. I was getting ready to leave. And a couple of the men came up and they said could we touch one of your clan robes and i said sure go ahead i don't care and next thing i know i look over and, and the men are all gathered around these clan robes, and they're like rubbing them in their fingers. And there's tears coming down their face. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I, wow. I shouldn't have brought these. I've upset them. And so I came over, and I started apologizing. And I thought they were just upset. And they, they, they said, no, no, no. We're glad you brought these, because you don't understand. We've lived our whole lives afraid hmm. of these and now we're holding them in our hands, and they don't have power over us anymore. Wow, yeah. that was that was amazing.
0: Yeah, and that's 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 what redemption, true yes. redemption, yes. is yes. is all about, and only only can happen when Jesus touches yes. lives yes. like that. Yeah. Uh, wh- as you now look back at your time working together, and even now. Um, w- Talk about the impact that you've seen on the community and the people you've had. I mean, you just shared that story. But there's got to be m- even more fruit that, that is coming out of God putting you together to, to lead this process of really deep reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Dr. Yes, we we what we've seen, Dr. Engel, uh, especially, uh, we love it, Dr. Harris up in the pulpit preaching. And when we have, um, and like you said, our, our congregation is... Predominantly African Americans, but to have Dr. Harris there, um, because what our what our pastor has been trying um, to do is, you know, we're 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 our church is open to, to all brothers and sisters of Christ, and you could see that 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 has been growing. So what that does is, though, so it it provides our congregation and our our, our especially our African American men and women with that level of comfort. It comfort. Uh, and um, the spirit of forgiveness, because they know that our whole congregation knows Dr. Harris story and to watch them, uh, number one, um, react to how he preaches. And then after it, in Bible study and after he preaches how the church embraces he and his wife, uh, it, it's just a true sign of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. We it, it is it is very evident and and, and and promising to to see that and i as i told Dodd harris um, he speaks throughout the community um, at, at different functions and yeah i I've, I've been at some of those functions where not everybody is 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 forgiving and 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 i'm sitting at tables listening to people that say i, I don't i don't believe he's changed or this and that. Mm-hmm. and i and, and and you know i always tell them you know if 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 christ if paul was cho- uh, Saul was changed on the road to Damascus and and we say we believe that as a Christian how can you can say not. sure it, and, and that's what I, I lead them with you know um, because if we say we believe what we believe then we have to believe that that God can change dr Harris
0: absolutely mm-hmm. wow as we as we close our show out today I want to take just a few minutes to to get into some of the ways that practically um, our listeners can join into the work of reconciliation, especially in our context right now that we're facing as as a nation. Um, here's the first question I want to ask in in this: What do we need to do to move towards racial reconciliation as a society? Okay,
2: you know, to move towards racial reconciliation, first of all, there has to be there has to be some education going on. Uh, we need to learn. About each other, and we need to we need to start to understand, uh, you know, the different cultures, the different races, the different ethnicities that we have here in America, and we need to not only understand how they're different, but we also need to focus in on how are we similar. How are we similar? I always uh, tell my audiences, you know, I ask the question, "How many of you have friends of other races?" And every hand will go up because it's, you know, it's the appropriate thing. It's, of course, I have friends of other races. But then, when I define friends, I say, you know, I don't mean the person that you work with or your coworker or someone. I'm talking about how many of you have friends of other races that you invite over for dinner. Uh, that you just call on the phone and say, Hey, we're having a cookout. Uh, you know, once you come up? Hey, my wife and I are going to a movie. You guys want to join us? Uh, how about how many of you go on vacation with p- families that are not the same race as you? Now, let's see your hands. And, and if they're honest, you know, we, we see the hands just dropping immediately. We've got to start building authentic authentic friendships, and we've also got to start educating ourselves. Uh, and those those are the two things. We, we increase uh, cross-racial uh, friendships, and we increase our um, racial literacy, our ability to understand the history, the culture, understand each other, because in finding our differences, we'll also begin to find our similarities. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, 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 Dr. Stevens, well,
1: and, I, and I would tell you, I, I want to take it from the perspective of an African American. Um, it, it is about education and communication. Um, people are afraid of me that don't know me. Mm. You know, here, you know, Dr. Engle, I'm a 20-year vet, veteran, um, educated, never been to jail, but um, unfortunately, when I walk off this campus at Southeastern, I'm still just another African American male. Uh, people judge me, prejudge me, and, and they don't. And I, when I tell you 2020, I still live that, um, you know, with everything. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm all of these things. But people don't, they don't, They what they see is the skin color. So education and communication, you know, you, you have to you educate yourself, but you have to really, really communicate with me and, 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 and get past my skin color. And you'll learn so much more about me. And that would help you. That, that comfort level. So um, until we can get past that, I, I just truly don't believe anything else is going to materialize because mm-hmm. as long as you're scared of me and, and, and you don't, because you don't, you don't understand and yeah. you know me. So.
0: How, how, let me ask you both this. How, how do we, um, how do we encourage others who are seeking justice, who are seeking redemption? How do we encourage them? How do we come alongside them?
2: I think we come alongside them uh, by supporting them, uh, by standing with them. Uh, I have I have an African American friend uh, in uh, Washington D.C., and he sent me a note, and you know not too long ago, and he said, he said I just want to let you know that I stand with you just as you stand with me, mm. and and that, that meant so much to me uh, to to hear that. Uh, because he knows that in doing racial justice work, reconciliation work, uh, there are going to be a lot of people who aren't on our bandwagon. Sure. Uh, and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of insults and, and words thrown, thrown about. And it meant a lot. It encouraged me. Uh, and I'm thinking, here is an African-American man encouraging me uh, in the fight for racial justice. Yeah, you know, right. and that that was that was really important to me. Yeah,
1: and and it is it is it is seeing people in power, Dr. Ingle, like yourselves. And I remember, I think it was about four years ago. I think it was the superintendent sent out a a note uh, to the universities or uh, to all the uh, assemblies of God, and he talked. He said something in the in the context of supporting, you know, um, the African Americans and and some other things. These I can't remember recall all of it, but. Um, looking at the people in power and, and having them to, like Dr. Uh, Harris said, really, really support. And it. I, I would even go as far as saying doing what Southeastern University is doing here as far as it's, it's holding, you know, uh, these, 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 these talks and then also looking at um, putting together a task force and, and, and really, really um, uh, supporting it. It has to come from, from the top. And, and yeah. when, when that happens that we have, we we have people in power that are really really pushing it. It it that's what that's what helps with the re, uh, with reconciliation. That's what helps with bringing us uh, bringing us together and not just giving it lip service. I think I told you this in the last um, uh, meeting we had. It has to be seen as being being real because you know we game recognizes game and we know when it's just a dog and pony or we yeah, know when right, it's, when it's right.
0: real. So has to be absolutely transformative and transparent. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for me, um, I've been doing a lot of listening. Uh, and and it, it, how do we become better listeners? Because to me, that is going to be a tremendous key to stepping into the framework of reconciliation. You have to just start Amen. listening. Amen. Amen. So, how do we do that better?
2: One thing is we, we, we learn to keep our mouth shut and mm. we, learn, we learn that we can learn from anyone. Yeah, that's That great. is so important. We can learn from anyone. And the only way we can learn from anyone is we need to be quiet ourselves and listen. But, but we've got to get to that attitude of I can learn something from you. No matter who you are or what your background is, I can learn something from you, and that you know that comes
0: down to showing respect for people. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. human dignity is important. It is. It is. What are uh, final question? What are some resources uh, those listening today could look to for more information? on reco- uh, reconciliation, uh, especially as it relates to racial reconciliation. Any uh, resources you can think of right now that would be good to uh, tap into or uh, be a part of that might be uh, be important?
1: Well, I can't, I can't think of any offhand. What I would say is, um, uh, look at your local churches, mm. um, especially in the, and I, I speak from the African-American community, um, look at some of the local churches and look at what's a lot of the pastors are leading uh, a lot of movements and the different things that, you know, if it's coming from that, the community, um, the Christian community like that, that is rooted in the word. So I would say uh, start there, start there. Uh, with some of the community leaders, because these are not only are they pastors, but they're community leaders that, that people have a, a, a deep seated respect for. And, and you know, a lot of those when we think of Dr. King and a lot of the right. is, things are held right there in the churches. So that that's one of the if, if notwithstanding the other organizations that are out there. But if we. Wanna be Christ centered and Christ based. I say start with those those leaders and talk to yeah, the leaders. Mm-hmm. And I know Lakeland and Bartol and Armandade, they, they all have key um leaders within the and within the community.
0: Yeah. And join in the conversation. Yes. Be be a part of that uh conversation and and yeah, you know, because conversation involves uh listening as well as being able to share the story. Yes. Right. Stories have impact, stories have change. I mean You know, your first time when you met with, you know, just the story begin, you know, God used that story to begin to change hearts. Um, you know, it's just it's just amazing uh, how that begins to happen as you as you do that. But uh, but yeah, resources uh, and and we're constantly striving to. Uh, I know at the university, look for new resources that can help us. And and I know we've created a, a, a task force yeah. that is working on uh, a lot of different issues of resource mm-hmm. and and to provide education and to provide the things that will help us in this process of truly bringing about change. And I. I looking forward to a lot of the things that we're going to be doing and, and so forth. And so grateful. I, I, you know, gentlemen, I truly believe it's time for healing in our world. Amen. And yes. your story uh, is something that is, I think, going to be used significantly. God's going to use you both in a, in a powerful way to help in this process in a, in a variety of contexts. And so I want to thank you both for sharing what God has done through your lives. Your stories are a beautiful representation. Of of God's divine redemption and God's you know forgiveness yes. and what it's all about. So I want to thank you for joining us on Framework Leadership. Uh, hope that uh, you will continue to listen to all the different podcasts that we provide to be a source of of uh, leadership development for your lives as you uh, continue to grow in your calling. Amen. We'll see you next time on Framework Leadership.
1: Amen.